Hello, everybody, and welcome. A super big welcome to everybody. We have a very special guest with us today. I'm Peter Goldstein, founder and chief synergy officer for We Did It.Health. And our mission with We Did It.Health is to empower the consumers, the grassroots ambassadors, and the vegan, plant based com global communities uh, to empower us to to be even more proactive on the topics that we're most passionate about. So we believe that when all of us can be more proactive, can have uh, great conversation skills and great relationship skills, we can move the needle on, on the vegan and plant-based movement, which so desperately needs to happen. I know how frustrated we all are when we meet resistance, when we we meet potential opportunities to present really great information and help somebody else be inspired and curious to take a look at changing their lifestyle. So with that, uh, we are very happy to launch September is our Climate Health Month. And to kick it off, we have uh, Dr. Salish Rao, who's uh, the founder of Climate Healers. And uh, climate healers are doing so very, very much. And if you're not familiar with, with their work, climatehealers.org is the place to get lots of great information. So this is going to be an open conversation. We absolutely welcome your questions and comments. We will be very happy to include them in this conversation. And please, if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, We Did It That Health, please subscribe and join us on Facebook and in our community. So, with that, it is my great honor to welcome Dr. Rao. Hello, Dr. Rao. Thank you for having me, Peter. Well, my pleasure, as always. And you're certainly a leader in bringing the truth about about the climate issues and the climate solutions to, to the world and such a leader in the vegan world and vegan communities. You're, you've, you've spoken all over the world. I know you've spoken to the United Nations and you've spoken to the European Union and, and so many other places. And you have brought us so many amazing documentaries uh, that have that helped change uh the vegan uh, landscape and uh so thank you for all your all you're doing and it's such amazing work and you have such a wonderful organization so um please please tell us what's what's on the top of your agenda at this point what what are your primary initiatives ah yeah we have a number of things going on right now we are uh, <clears throat> working to uh, correct the way the UN measures greenhouse gas emissions because they have this strange way of uh, counting the land use change uh, as a net accounting and fossil fuels as a gross accounting. And as an engineer, I just rebel you know, at the thought that someone is counting something one way and counting something else the other way. Another way. It's just you can never come up with uh, good solutions when you're not measuring things right, you know? And so the UN has this, uh, so that's one of the major uh, initiatives that we have started is to get that corrected. Well, can you explain a little more about what, what you're, you mean with net accounting and, 
and what they're doing and what the truth really is and what they're presenting? Yeah. So let me give you an idea of what is going on. Um, we know that over the last 10,000 years, humans have cut half the trees on the planet. So there yes. used to be five to six trillion trees. And now there are only three trillion trees on the planet. Okay. Now the trees are the major source of carbon sequestration on land. Okay. So because the tree is basically taking CO2 from the atmosphere and converting it into hydrocarbons through photosynthesis. And that's how the tree grows and becomes bigger. So the tree is a store of that carbon or the CO2 from the atmosphere. And uh, what the UN is claiming is that even though we cut 3 trillion trees on the planet, it only caused 25 billion tons of carbon to be emitted. Okay, over the last 10,000 years, imagine 10,000 years, you cut 3 trillion trees, half the trees on the planet, it only caused 25 billion tons to be emitted into the atmosphere. And the remaining 3 trillion trees are storing 2,150 billion tons of carbon. So you say, what the heck happened here? You know, why is it that we only emitted 25 billion tons after cutting half the trees on the planet and the remaining trees are storing almost 100 times as much? <laughs> what happened here? And what the UN has been doing is called net accounting. So what they're saying is, even though we cut the trees, nature compensated for it. So we're going to take credit for that. That's what they're doing. That's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. Okay. And all these, all our scientists are going along with this. And I'm saying, what, you know, I mean, have you all gone mad? I mean, have you lost our senses? Are you going along with this nonsense? So, it, it, so that's one of the um, major initiatives we have. You know, we need to start measuring things right. Otherwise, we won't solve the problem correctly. Because what happened is that as we cut trees and as we cut forests uh, in nature, nature started bulking up in the remaining trees to compensate for, for what we are doing. Okay, and that's she's desperately trying to undo our damage. Yes. Yes. This is why I say nature is a self-correcting system. Okay, and 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 we are in a self-healing system, self-correcting system. She's desperately trying to help us, but uh, uh, unfortunately, you know, we are ignoring that, and we are saying, okay, we'll take credit for it, <laughs> right, <laughs> for what nature did. And now we will continue deforesting. So, so the, the plan at the UN IPCC, their model assumes that we're going to continue deforesting for another 10,000 years. Are you crazy? Right. <laughs> there aren't enough trees to keep the There aren't enough that trees. <laughs> oh my That's God. That's their model. Okay. Their model assumes that we're going to continue deforesting for 10,000 years because they tell you that once you put carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, it will stay there for 10,000 years. What does that mean? You're going to prevent it from coming back down. So you're going to prevent reforestation to happen. Yes. 
Yeah, this this is just mind-boggling that that um, they're not seeing it as. I mean, it's just just keep cutting down the trees, fewer trees to to sequester the carbon dioxide and clean the air, and yeah. So, uh, what what is your strategy to get this message through to through to them? Well, we have. Um, I wrote a blog about it, and then. Uh, um, you know, you can read the blog. It's called The Cow in the Room at the UNIPCC. Yes. There's a cow in the room, you know, because they don't want to change their eating habits or whatever is going through their minds. I don't know what it is, but obviously they are being influenced by interests, right? Saying, count it like this. So then we don't have to, you know, even look at that. And, uh, um, and to me, it's just self-evident that we cannot count like that. Yes. You have to take responsibility for the fact that we cut three trillion trees and we have to admit that we emitted however many tons, you know, it's like a thousand seven hundred billion tons or whatever it is. Okay. Yes. Then you can say we can bring it back. Bring it back how? By bringing back the forest. See, because all that land, most of that land that we deforested is for animal agriculture. Right. And there are hardly any trees on the land that we are now using as grazing lands. Right. So the grazing lands are only storing 2% of the 2150, 2150 billion tons of carbon that's on land. Right. Okay. So if you bring back the forest that used to be there, then that will store, you know, at least another thousand billion tons of carbon. Yeah. So I have a question here from Deb Thompson from Arizona, which is your home state, I know. And mm. she's she's wondering if this is intentional or ignorance. Well, uh, we think what happened was historically, like when the IPCC started back in the 80s, 70s and 80s, um, we didn't have much a good idea of carbon flows okay so they said well it's you know it's easier to just do net accounting <laughs> <laughs> okay. so we deforest over here and then you say well we are you know it's being sequestered over there and so therefore let's just do net accounting so that's how it probably started it was probably an innocent decision who knows you know but who knows what really happened there uh, but the, you, there is a possibility that it was just a mistake that they made, and the mistake has persisted. So, but then when you have it in the sixth assessment report that was issued in 2022, okay, and you state there that 10,000 years of deforestation only cost 25 billion tons of carbon, I mean, isn't there someone who says, hey, does that make sense? Yeah. Well, you're saying doesn't make sense, but um, I mean, no one is questioning that. And I'm asking, why isn't anyone questioning that? Right. So how how do we get them to question that? I yeah, we uh, uh, we have submitted. I mean, Jared Bishop has written a paper, you know, uh, on this and and showing what happens when you correct it and how suddenly deforestation becomes the primary source of carbon dioxide emissions, not fossil fuels. 
Because even today, deforestation, we are only counting about 28% of the emissions because we are doing net accounting. So we are taking credit for what nature did over there. <laughs> so we are chopping like crazy over saying, yeah, don't worry, nature will correct it. And I'm saying, wait a minute, if nature stops correcting it, then, then whatever you're doing, you'll have to pay for it, right? Yeah. So, so uh, this is how the animal agriculture industry has been getting away with murder. Yes. Literally on the planet. <laughs> Literally, in, in yeah. much bigger ways than, than it would seem, yes. Absolutely. So right. we really so need to take them to task on it. You know, and we are writing papers. So, but it's a slow process when you write papers and you get academia to. It takes like six months to write to publish a paper, and then only then people will take a look at it. And I'm saying, guys, this is staring us in the face. So, so let me ask you: When you're saying writing papers, I know that in the medical field, you know, to to write a paper, it re, it requires an IRB approval and peer review and all kinds of yes. other things. So when you're when you're talking about writing a paper, what's what's the process for that? It's because the same kind of process, you know. I mean, we have to basically submit the paper for review. Uh, and it's already been submitted now. It's, uh, I mean, I'm not the author, okay? I just wrote the blog and Jared Bishop did all the work of taking that idea and taking it to fruition. So he wrote, he wrote the paper and I think you are interviewing him, aren't you? I believe so, yes. Yeah. Yes. So and... he'll talk, talk about it. And, uh, and then it, uh, we get a first response from the editor saying, I'm going to send it for review or not. Okay. Mm -hmm. We're waiting for that to happen. And then once that happens, then uh, it goes out for review. So it's a six month to nine month process. Yeah. Yes. And then once it gets published, you know, people will, it takes time for people to digest it, to understand it, and then say, yeah, yes or no. It's a long process by the time they actually change the numbers. Yes. Yes, it's 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 terrible what a long process everything is. But yes, yes. And, and this is why no, I kind of in sorry, Peter, but this is why no. I, I kind of uh, uh, you know I, I I wrote a paper saying it is at least eighty seven percent right gas emissions, and I was using uh, engineering accounting, meaning account for everything you are emitting. Yes. Okay. And uh, and I actually now have updated it to 118%. And you ask, and what does it mean that is greater than 100%, right? How can right. emissions be greater than 100%? Yes. Yes, please, please explain that. Yeah, it means that literally if the world goes vegan and we no longer use animals, right? So the, you count the damage you're doing and then you say, 18% of that damage we'll also undo. We'll undo 18%. And yes. So because there's an accumulation because the carbon right. dioxide, the, the gases, they don't they don't clear out every year. It's they get accumulated. So they exactly. it's it's not like it's a new year, so we start all over. So so there's an accumulation. And then by if the world would be vegan, then we're 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 cleaning up the past damage that we've done to the environment. 
Yeah. So this is when we uh, when we restore the original forest back on that land that we are currently using for grazing animals, right? Because we are we are growing enough uh, food grains for our consumption already. Mm -hmm. More than half of it we are feeding to our animals instead of eating it ourselves. Right. <laughs> right. So if we just eat the grains ourselves, we won't need any more land for growing grains. Right. Right. So we only need to so so we'll then have access to all that grazing land and we can then restore the forest that used to be there on that grazing land and that's how you will reverse uh, you can start reversing climate change so so to, so the good news to me is that just like our body our human body when we start eating whole food plant-based food it will start healing even though you're not yet exercising even though you're not yet you know you haven't stopped you know some of the other bad habits right it'll start healing anyway in the same way the earth will start healing even though we are still messing around with cars and stuff that doesn't mean we can continue messing around with cars forever because at some point the earth is going to say no more <laughs> yes i can't grow any more for us i've already done you know yes so by the time she says that we have to clean up our act mm -hmm. yes yes exactly so deb again is asking about should the land now being used for grazing be reverted back to wildlands forestation? And that's uh, you. You are you are um, addressing that. So can you say just a little more about it? Yeah, basically, I'm saying that we have plenty of land to grow grains and fruits and vegetables already. We are already growing enough to feed ourselves. I mean, we may not be doing the right thing on that land. We are pouring, you know, GMO. We are making growing GMO crops or something like that. Instead, if you just grow organic on that land, you will have plenty. Okay. Plenty for human consumption yes. uh, on the cropland that we are currently using. Yes. But so but but the grazing land will be will be available for us to restore um, forests yes. to reforestation for wildlife. And I I know one of the many things that I love about Climate Healers is one of the projects that Climate Healers has called Food Healers. And mm -hmm. where where the point is that it takes so much more grains to feed animals than to feed humans. So what is it? it takes like eight pounds of grains to get a pound of meat? Um, yeah, see, that's only a grain measure, okay? Because most animals don't eat just grain. They eat grass. They eat all kinds of other things. <laughs> so they, when they say 18 to 1 or 16 to 1 or 8 to 1, they're only counting the grains. Yeah. If you count all the food, it's more like 39 to 1. Wow. So animals are eating 39 one. times as much food as they produce. Yes. Wow. So really... There should be no world hunger. It's we, we have enough to feed everybody. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, world hunger is a choice we are making. Yes. Every time we eat. Yes. Yes. And, and so Deb says, thank you for, for your reply. She's she's then also bringing up the next thing that's on my mind, too, is as we're talking about about consumption by animals, uh, the grain and, and food consumption by animals, there's also the water issue. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So uh, what what I've heard that it takes uh, and tell me what's accurate here, but I think what I've heard is twenty five 
hundred gallons of water to get a pound of meat. Is that is that pound of beef? Yeah. To to get a pound of beef. So right. so a pound of beef takes twenty five hundred gallons of water. That's the average. Yeah, that's the average, and it is. Uh, and so the water use is an order of magnitude more for animal foods than for plant foods. And it makes sense, right? Because the animals have to drink the, I mean, they eat the food, they have to drink the water, and then they produce their, um, I mean, the secretions or whatever, right? And so there is a one level up the trophic cascade that we are going up. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's just, just inconceivable about how you know we have the water shortage and water issues and i as i understand that the great colorado river is dry by the time it gets to the gulf of mexico i mean it's, right. it's just inconceivable how we divert so much water and 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 probably most of it is going to growing growing food for to feed animals absolutely yeah arizona it's like more than 80 percent of the water is being used for growing animals. I mean, why would you want to raise cows in a desert? Yeah. Yeah, that's what they're trying enough. to do. You know, that's what they're trying to do. They're desperately growing alfalfa and stuff like that and uh, using tremendous amounts of water. So this is what happens when you just say whatever, you know, if you can pay for it, you can do it. <laughs> Someone comes yeah. and pays for the water and uses it for that purpose. Yes. Well, and, and I would add pay for it, but pay for it from an incredibly short-sighted economics because paying exactly. for it to destroy the earth is part of the price we're paying. And that's somehow that doesn't get calculated into the equation of the cost. Of exactly. See, that again is the accounting it. that's the problem, isn't it? That's, the accounting is the problem. It's it's. <laughs> We need to recognize the long-term costs of things and, and the full costs of things. I love it. it so talking about water, I know that um, I, I know that uh, Climate Healers has a quarterly VCOP, a convergence of the people and some really amazing talks and people appearing. And I, I recommend that uh, to attend and to check out the recordings from it but i know that the next theme is about the oceans yes yeah it's about water so we have captain paul watson he'll be starting it off with the he'll be delivering the keynote address on uh saturday october 28th so the convergence of the peoples is is like the conference of the parties at the un except vcops we are doing it seriously because at the conference of the parties at the UN, they don't even talk about food. You know, I mean, they're, they're eating meat over there, eating meat and dairy. How serious can you be when you're doing that? So I got disgusted when I went to Glasgow and, uh, and then I came back and I said, you know, guys, let's call our convergences VCOPs. We, until then we were calling it vegan world 2026 convergences. So we start calling it the vegan convergence of the peoples and uh, where basically veganism is front and center because it is the foundation of a solution of any solution to climate change. Veganism is the foundation of it because it's that is the next step up right in morality is to say that we have to grant animals the ability to live free of our interference. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So, so being vegan, I, I sometimes observe that being vegan has to be part of the next phase of human conscious evolution. So absolutely, because it's, we're destroying the earth. We're destroying ourselves. We're suffering in our health. We're, we're making animals suffer. And, and definitely that compassion, that vegan compassion for, for, for the earth and for the animals and for ourselves is has to be part of part of human evolution at this point absolutely and that's inevitable it's going to happen and it's just you know i mean what we are doing here is basically showing people that they're being deceived yes into going along with with the agenda right uh, that's what you're trying to do with the health agenda and that's what well, we are trying to do with our climate, you know, with the planetary health agenda. Yes. Yes. And with, with the health agenda, we, we started out with the human health agenda. And but really now it's for the health of everything, for the yes. health of, of animals, for the health of the climate, for the health of Mother Earth, for the health of everything. It's, yeah. It's, and yeah. And the bottom line, the common denominator across the board is is eating plant-based absolutely yeah i mean you realize that ultimately there is only one health you know you cannot have a healthy human being is surrounded by plastic waste and <laughs> right <laughs> yes absolutely can you can you speak a little bit about the condition of the oceans and and yeah so it's yeah, the oceans are probably the most the most polluted the most exploited of the planets um, the planet's so-called resources we don't I, I really don't like to call it resource they're not resources it's life and then life is not something that you barter and that you that you that you buy and sell you know i really dislike that term anyway that's how we've been calling it and uh, but it's the most polluted, the most exploited, because it's out of sight. It's out of sight. You don't see it happening, right? So people are dragging nets under the from the bottom of the ocean, scooping up everything, killing everything. You know, on land, uh, we deforest about thirty million acres every year. Every year, okay. And in the ocean, we bottom trawl, which is the equivalent of deforestation. Bottom trawl, meaning just grab everything from under the bottom of the ocean. We bottom trawl 4 billion acres. Wow. Every year. That's crazy. So we have, you know, 80 mile long nets that are, that are being dropped into the bottom of the ocean. And, and obviously, this is, this is very expensive stuff to do things like this. Okay, it's very expensive to get... And it only gives us 3% of the food we eat. Wow. In terms of weight. Okay. So to get 3% of the food we eat, we are going through this tremendous exercise of bottom trawling 4 billion acres. And so the only way that corporations can do that is if the government pays for it. And that's what they've been doing. They've been getting subsidies from the governments to do this. 
So I'm they, <laughs> go ahead. Are you speechless? <laughs> I'm speechless. I'm speechless. We're paying for it. So we're, yes. we're doing these atrocities and we're paying for it. Right. We are paying for it with our taxpayer dollars, right? So th that's that's what really upsets me. Yeah? And we are paying for them to kill the planet for our children and grandchildren and for us. I mean, I plan to be alive for another 10, 15 years at least. So, and, and if the planet is going to die by then, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm also going to be impacted, right? Absolutely. So that's how fast we are trying to kill the planet if we continue doing this. Yes. You know, I mean, it is, it's, planet will be, will be dead for us. Meaning the planet may recover in another million years. But that's not of much use to us because we don't live a million years. <laughs> yes. Well, the, the planet at this rate of deforestation and, and abuses all around, I, I can't imagine the planet. Well, the planet, I guess not the planet, but life on the planet, human life on the planet being able to, to survive. Do you have projections on on how much longer the planet can sustain human life? Well, uh, let me tell you that there are there are six, there are at least six nonlinear feedback loops that we may have triggered, according to our estimates. We may have triggered them. We don't know. Okay, and the only way you'll get to know whether you've triggered them or not is to actively reverse climate change and then see if those nonlinear feedback loops respond in the right direction. So let's say we start sucking down the CO2 from the atmosphere and then you see the Western Antarctic ice sheet grow again. That means that it hasn't triggered. It hasn't gone beyond the point of no return. Right? So when you've already triggered so many of these nonlinear feedback loops and you see them going in the wrong direction and you're still insisting on continuing along the same path, that is the sign of insanity. Right. Okay. So this is why going vegan to me is just a first step. It's a, it's like it's like saying, okay, I'm not going to throw any more any more fuel into the fire. That's all we have done when we said we're going vegan. So if the planet goes vegan, then everybody stopped throwing fuel into the fire. And then we have to heal the planet. So that means you have to go get a bucket of water and pour it on the fire. <laughs> yes. So now we have said there is a fire going on on the planet. Okay. And so please stop making it worse. That's all veganism is. Okay. So it's a very reasonable thing to ask the world to go vegan. Just like it's very reasonable to ask, you know, members in your household to stop throwing matches into the fire. Mm -hmm. So, uh, to me, you know, these six nonlinear feedback loops are, they're estimated to have their tipping points between one and two degrees Celsius of heating. Okay, and we are already at 1.2 degrees. And they're saying it's between one and two degrees. And then saying, you know, why, why are you playing with this? So let, let me see if I understand. 
you're saying it's at two degrees we hit a tipping point on these feedback loops I... uh, no between one and two degrees so these nonlinear yeah with these nonlinear feedback systems are very hard to analyze mm -hmm. and people are just coming up with broad estimates they think it could be between one and two degrees celsius and there are some feedback loops that are between two and three degrees celsius and some that are you know that are probably after three degrees celsius so these are all feedback loops that are going to make things worse, meaning nature is going to just take over and say, because nature always gives us more of what we ask for. Sure. Right? So when we, when we keep burning down forests, we are asking nature, hey, heat me up. And nature says, okay, sure, you want me to heat you up, I'll heat you up more. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, nature certainly created a magnificent paradise here. Yeah, I mean, see, but nature is, uh, if you ask nature, hey, can we, can you please cool us? And she'll start cooling us, meaning she's already, nature is already sequestering more than 80% of our emissions. Okay, when you count it right. Okay, mm -hmm. so which means that the, the power of nature is always, is already on display. She's already trying to help us. So, can we not make that 80% to be greater than 100%? And I'm saying, yes, of course we can. Just go vegan. Yes. So um, I have a question here from, from Deb. She, she wants to know what the six feedback systems are. And yeah, um, let me see if I can, uh, you know, let me just go and grab that. Basically, uh, there are several nonlinear feedback loops in the climate system. Okay, so the um, the ones that uh, that we think are the closest to being triggered are the ice sheet melting in the green in Greenland, uh, the West Antarctic ice sheet. So meaning it may hit a point of no return. So if it hits a point of no return, then even though you start cooling, Greenland ice sheet will still keep melting. Yeah. Okay, until you cool it way below where it started melting like that. So, so that's called hysteresis in a nonlinear feedback loop. And um, the uh, the methane emissions from the Arctic is one of those. Methane emissions, yes. And I think coral die off is another one. So how many did I give you? Four, right? Mm -hmm. The Arctic, uh, the Arctic ice melt, which again is a, um, I mean, that problem is that, you know, once the Arctic loses its ice, it exposes dark water, which absorbs sunlight, as opposed to, uh, as opposed to reflecting sunlight, which is what the ice would do. So, so those are the five, and I, I forget the sixth one. I, I can't find it right now. But anyway, there are six that, that are between one and two degrees Celsius. And there was a paper that was written in 2019, I believe, uh, which detailed all the nonlinear feedback loops and, and uh, the ranges over which they're expecting. Yes. Well, is, and is that paper on climate healers? Where, where could people find that paper? Um, 
so you're saying there's a paper on the six feedback loops where yeah. where is that available um and can i mail that to you later absolutely so yeah, so please do, do and and uh we'll make sure that that we make it available and point people to it and that sounds like sounds like a very important point that people need to be aware of and i know for me i keep wondering i mean there there is no on off switch on the polar ice caps i mean once they right. start melting there's we we can't reverse that well we can quickly. reverse it but you'll have to cool the earth way below where it started triggering so you have to start the process of reforming the ice, you know, mm -hmm. the ice reforming. And that can happen if you cool it way below where it started happening. So this is called hysteresis in a nonlinear feedback system. Mm -hmm. So it triggers at one point and then it comes down at a, at a lower point. Mm -hmm. you know? So uh, it's not like we cannot, we cannot make it come back. We can make it come back, but you'll have to maybe turn the ice into a deep the earth into a deep freeze or something like that right so it's like we don't have that kind of power to do that we don't that's <laughs> i think that's my point that there's there's no switch on it and certainly to make it go into a deep freeze that's not a solution that includes humanity <laughs> surviving on earth yeah so that's that's why you know when you see these things happening the most sensible thing to do is to stop making it worse first yeah. and foremost yes right hmm? Stop making it worse, and then you know, uh, then you can assess what's going on. Mm -hmm. Until then, we don't even know what's going on because we are just guessing now, right? Based yes. on based on models. Mm -hmm. When we start cooling the atmosphere, when we start cooling the earth by going vegan and reforesting, then you can see which of these nonlinear feedback loops are responding in the right direction, and which of them are not responding in the right direction, and that will tell you where to focus right so that's how you would solve you know solve the problem if we were honest and if we are trying to actually survive on this earth and and make it a habitable planet for our children and grandchildren that's exactly what we would be doing mm -hmm. okay so so really you know i look at organizations like climate defiance these young kids going around disrupting uh, the status quo and saying you know guys you, you're not you're killing us by doing this. And I, I think they're absolutely right to do that. Okay, because it is their future. So it's like the rest of us from my generation have to decide whose side are we on? Mm -hmm. Are we on the side of those who are protesting and saying solve this problem? Or are we on the side of the status quo that says continue your barbecues? Right. And I'm firmly on the side of the kids. I'm firmly on the side of the future generations. I'm firmly on the side of my granddaughter. Yes. And I'm saying in a absolutely no way am I going to sit around and, and watch this nonsense happening, you know, especially people lying to me in, <laughs> in IPCC report. How dare they? Yes. 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 How dare they? It's, it's, it's amazing and i i have to believe tell tell me if this how this makes sense because i really believe there has to be truth in this is that mm -hmm. if these people the people who are propagating these this misinformation if they would only understand that they're really damaging 
everybody themselves, their families, their grandkids, if they only had the information. So I, I, they can't possibly be intentionally destroying the future generations. It's, there are some, see, uh, uh, Reynold Niebuhr wrote a book called Moral Man and Immoral Society. Okay. He wrote that in 1930s, you know. Uh, and he pointed out how good people go along with uh, society that is doing bad things. Yes. Okay. And so uh, it's inertia. Go along to get along. You know, don't stick out as a nail because you'll get hit on the head with a hammer. <laughs> this is the sort of mindset that we take, right? So, so we, we keep quiet, even though we think there is something wrong going on, we keep quiet because, you know, my jobs, uh, I, I, have a, uh, I have a family to feed, I mean, all kinds of other considerations come into play, right? So this is how groups of people tend to be um, immoral compared to the individuals in the group. Because no one steps out and says, this is wrong. Let's not do this. And so now we are looking at humanity as a group. <laughs> we are doing immoral things, right, on the planet. I mean, it's just no religion says go destroy the planet. And yet we are doing it. And, and everyone is going along with it. I mean, I went to the Parliament of World's Religions where in Chicago in August. And, you know, the keynote speakers, everybody was talking about compassion for all life, <laughs> right? And and it's there. All religions are there. Jains are there. Hindus are there. Muslims, Jews, Christians. I mean, all religions are represented, and yet they're serving pork over there and they're serving beef over there. And they said, "Wait a minute! Don't you know that we are here? The Hindus are here, so we consider serving beef as as uh, an insult to us." I mean, it, see, it's like. You know, there is, uh, then you ask, why did the, even the parliament is not doing this, right? This is the, this is where morality is supposed to be discussed. You, morality says, don't say something and do the opposite right outside. <laughs> so think about that, right? So how did that happen? Not that the parliament is full of bad people. It's just right. that they were concerned that people won't come if they don't have their hot dogs or if they don't have their beef burritos. And they go along with it. Right? They're yeah. concerned that, oh, you know, instead of 8,000 registrations, I may get only 7,000 registrations if, if I don't have, if I have only vegan food. Whoops, yes. Yes, and that's that is, I think that's that's the conversations we at we did that health. We're you know our our mission, our 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 goal, our mission, our passion is to be that laboratory to figure out uh, figure out what what the solution is. And really, if we keep digging at the root of it, is what you're talking about. It's that. It's the social psychology. It's it's 
it is the morality. Everybody likes to believe that that they're moral, and there's very, very few people on earth who are so greedy that they're willing to say, you know, the hell with my grandkids, and I don't care about the generations, and you know, I want an extra profit right now. I, I think mm -hmm. there's very few people who actually believe that, but yet that's there's there's so many that behave that way. And yeah, and so how how do we how do we do this? And and you know, for me, my vision, our vision, our hope is that we can come to it from the grassroots level. If we can come to it right. and and talk with the people that we know in our lives, the people that that we can, and then to figure out how can we really get them to understand it and turn to the to to ignite their compassion, to ignite. Their, their compassion for the truth and the compassion of the solution, because this is not a solution that's that's benefiting anybody's pocketbook. Right. And maybe that's that's part of what it is, because certainly the milk industry and the beef industry, they have they have millions and hundreds of millions of dollars to to advertise and market their agenda. But unfortunately, the kale industry doesn't. So. Um, right. So how do we do this is it's to amplify just exactly what you're doing, okay? Again, Renal Niebuhr also said that when the individuals within the organization are able to amplify their morality, then they can overcome and create this society to become more moral, right? So this is how morals evolve over time. I mean, think about it. 50 years ago, 60 years ago, maybe six, yeah, maybe a little more than 60 years ago, they were exhibiting people of color in a zoo in Europe. Yes. Can you imagine doing that today? Yes. No. Okay, but so that's a moral progression that happened. Yes. Okay, so and so we look back at the people from 60 years ago and say, what were they thinking? Right. Exhibiting people of color in, in, in a zoo, in a cage. Yes. So that people can come and see what they look like. Yes. Right. But we are still exhibiting animals in a zoo. Yes. 60 years from now, people are going to be looking back and saying, what were they thinking? exhibiting animals in a zoo yes so that's the moral progression that we need to trigger right now so how did people stop exhibiting people of color in a in a zoo because of martin luther king because of civil rights movement because of people yelling about it saying enough already And the same thing is happening now with respect to animals. This, the animal rights movement, the vegan movement, to me is the greatest and the fastest growing social justice movement in the world today. Absolutely. Okay. So it's strengthening this movement, strengthening our voices and making it absolutely clear to those who are in power today that this will not stand. Yes. Okay. We're not going to tolerate this. Yes. Okay, so 
empty the cages, right? Empty the cages. I mean, free the animals. Let's figure out how to solve our problems without having to exploit animals. Yes. And we know how to do it. It's not like we don't know how to do it. It's just that some people are saying, I'm not going to let that happen because I am cushy in my own little world. Short term. Very not short only short term, term it's thinking. narrow thinking. It's thinking narrow short thinking term. that your you and your family are the only ones that matter, right? And I'm saying you actually you're part of the human family. You're but, part of the family of life. So expand your family, right? Think about everyone as family. Yes, and 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 you know, think of it as family, but yet if we think of it as family, if we think of our health, our, our family's health, mm -hmm. that's that's still not understood that, you know, I think I'm loving my family by creating this wonderful barbecue and everybody's enjoying the barbecue, but really hurting my family. And right. And yeah. So, so it, it is, a, you know, it is a um, it's a moral progression. And it is actually part of the greatest transformation in human history. Yes. That's what we need to focus on. You need to tell people, listen, you are so fortunate to be born right now because you're going to look back and say, we made it happen. Yes. Because it's inevitable we are going to have to transform to that. Okay? Yes. We are going to get there. And uh, uh, it is, uh, to me, it's an inevitable transformation. So we have to... In any engineering project that I have been successful at, I've always assumed that I'm going to meet my objectives. <laughs> I don't go around saying, oh, drat, I don't think it will happen. <laughs> who, who will ever work with me when I do that? You know? Yes, yes, yes. Edison then set out saying, I want to try 900 times and give up on creating the light bulb, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> He knew he was going to create a light bulb, right? So the same way, you know, we knew, you know, anytime you look at the feasibility, whether it can be done or not, and then you say, well, if it's feasible, of course we're going to do it. Yes. Is it feasible to have a vegan world? Of course it's feasible. Of course. It's not that complicated, right? Yes. Yes. So before we run out of time and we have less than 10 minutes, what, what I would love to hear you talk a little bit about is is coming to the grassroots level, coming at the family, coming at each of us as grassroots ambassadors. How do we have that conversation with our families? How do we how, how do we say, you know, I'd like to show you something that's that's moral, something that I know that once you get through to it, you'll want to do. How you know, because certainly if I say to somebody, you know, I want to show you how to be more moral, I cannot have that conversation. So right. what, what are some strategies that you would recommend? You know, I mean, I, I got the most out of just being with my granddaughter. So I say, just go befriend a, a young kid, right? And just do whatever the young kid wants. A baby, start with a one-year-old, a two-year-old. That's how I started with my granddaughter. She was only about a year and a half when I started, when we moved here to Phoenix and uh, and I could I could interact with her. And I realized the wisdom was there all along. The wisdom is within us all along, okay? We know what to do. 
we are just pretending not to and we are or we are being blinded by our culture our conditioning so what i did was i told my granddaughter you know you're the most amazing thing that ever happened to me and that will never ever change and secondly i'll always love you no matter what you do and the third was i'll always tell you the truth and i'll never ever lie to you so these are the three promises i made to her that allowed her to be very free with me so she would tell me the first thing that came to her mind she knew that i would never judge her that I would always love her that she could always count on that right and so she was very free with me and she showed me all the things that were wrong in my conditioning and that to me was the greatest learning experience so i've told her she's my she has been my greatest teacher <laughs> She did more by the time she turned five than most of us do in our entire lifetimes. <laughs> yes, and and she she was your greatest teacher, but you were and you get a lot of credit for being open to receive that teaching, and that's that's the one thing I'm asking people to do: be open to that, be open to knowing something different, be open to uh, admitting that maybe everything you know is wrong yeah so we're we need strategies to to get people to have an open mind to a strategy to to invite our loved ones to invite the people our friends our loved ones people we care about and maybe that's part of the secret that we're trying to uncover with we did it is how, how can we do that what what are the ways that we can we can inspire somebody, we can invite somebody, we can succeed with somebody to, to get them to open their mind. Yeah, I wrote a book about my experience with my granddaughter. And I find that stories are the best way to get people to uh, resonate with you. And so the book is called uh, The Pinky Promise. You can find it on Amazon. And it's a very slim book. It's about two, it's 12 chapters. Uh, there's a 12, and they all happen to be the 12 steps of a transformation. So each chapter is a step in the transformation and each chapter is a story of how it happened to me. Beautiful. Okay, and it's so it's a very short book and I recommend people to, it's only $2 on Kindle. You know? Unfortunately, the paper version, I have to charge more because I have, uh, the, the expenses are greater. But otherwise, and I'm happy to send PDFs, you know, making it available to people. So that's that's wonderful. Um, so that's it's available as a PDF to anybody who wants it. Is it available? How, how does somebody get get the PDF of it? Oh, just email me. I'll uh, you can post my email address. Okay. You know, org. and I'm happy to mail it to anyone. Okay. Um, see, thing is. You know, that's one thing. It's getting people to be open to making the change. So I say focus on those who are already open to making changes. Okay, so so I focus on those who are sitting on the fences as opposed to those who are far away from the fence. So so how do we identify it? How do we best identify those people? I, I think we Yeah, usually I you know I go to uh organizations that are already thinking along social justice lines talking thinking about social because they are already aware of something that's wrong with society that they're trying to fix right 
then you can go then they're open to hearing your ideas about what else is wrong and what mm -hmm. is the root cause of it all okay so That's forming alliances with other social justice organizations um and uh, for instance you know i started working with an organization here in phoenix called feed phoenix and initially they were feeding people anything right so they're feeding them <laughs> bacon and egg sandwiches things like that but once I showed them the movies, the documentaries and stuff, you know, they, they came along, you know, and now they are feeding healthy food. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. That's, that's so much part of, of our vision is to, to be able to support the grassroots ambassadors in doing that too. So we would love for you to share the strategies, share the steps you've taken, and everybody else who's succeeded in in making progress within a situation, whether whether it's a kitchen or or a or a church or or a school or so so we, we want to be that place with our passion pods on different topics, be mm -hmm. the place where we can share those strategies and have those conversations. So so people who are focusing, let's say, on soup kitchens or, or churches, they can get together and say, well, here's here's what worked. Here's the next documentary I'm going to share. Here's here's the recipe. So if you would share share your process with Feed Phoenix, I think that would that would really encourage and benefit other people in doing similar things. Yeah, this the, it's the process that we use for certification. Oh, yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because we're almost out of time and yeah, say yeah. the best for last here, I guess. And and that is that uh, by coincidence, saved it for last than intend to. But um, yeah, so climate healer certification. So would you mm -hmm. talk about? about the certification process and then i would like to also mention that we, we are now going to partner in in a certification and add to it our certification which is all about interpersonal communications so right. please please tell everybody about what's involved in in the climate healer certification so the climate healer certification is a process by which people get to understand the climate healer story of uh transformation how are we transforming from the caterpillar to the butterfly so to speak and and then and where are we in the process of this transformation and so and equipping people with the with the right uh, tools to help them go talk to others in terms of information you know so we ask people to watch four documentaries uh documentaries that i've been part of the human experiment conspiracy what the health and a prayer for compassion and then we ask them to watch six webinars where i explain every aspect of this transformation so there is you know the social aspect the political aspect the ecological aspect and so on economic aspects and so it's what does this transformation mean you know what are we doing when we make this transformation We're really going from is a um you know climate heating civilization to a climate healing civilization right a climate heating resource extracting civilization to a climate healing ecosystem restoring civilization so a purposeful change you know i mean you know as an engineer that when we have a common purpose we are trying to build something together we collaborate so 
So when we have a common purpose that we have to heal the planet, to heal the climate, we will collaborate. But that should be the objective of civilization, not a byproduct. Yes. Okay. As long as civilization is uh, it's all about, you know, grab as much as you can <laughs> as quickly as possible, it's going to go, it's going to heat. So, and you remember in any engineering team, you have to make everyone feel like they belong. That's a successful engineering team. Okay. So in the same way, we have to make everyone feel like they belong on planet Earth. And that will be a successful human civilization. So that's those are the kinds of things we ask people to go through and understand. And then they become better equipped at uh, spreading the word. So that's the purpose of the Climate Healer Certification process. And so it is there on our, I mean, if you go to climatehealers.org, and there is a For You tab on the menu, For You, and there's a Climate Healer Certification page underneath that. Excellent. That's beautiful. So visit it there. And, and then on we did that health, we're going to have a program probably announcing it soon. It will start either uh, late September or early October, where we're going to have weekly meetings, discussion groups on on the different videos, different documentaries. And I know, Dr. Rao, you're, you're going to join us for for some of them, but uh, Rebecca Allen, who's who's one of the leaders in your organization, right. and Marquita Solis with, with us, uh, the two of them are going to facilitate and lead this whole process of, of digging deeper as a group with, with sharing it with other people. Uh, and we'll have that on We Did That Health available for everybody. And we're so excited to be collaborating and working with you to to make this a better world for everybody. So, um, thank yeah, you, yeah. yeah, thank you so much. And and I'm afraid we're out of time. And and this hour went so quickly, and so much amazing, amazing sharing here. And and you're, I I so appreciate you and all you're bringing to to the planet and to humanity and helping make this a better world. So thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart and 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 namaste vegan. <laughs> All right. My pleasure. Well, yes, thank you. Any final world words you'd like to share before we log off? Yeah, thank you so much for having this uh this series and uh, rest assured that we are going to get there. So thank you very much. Beautiful. Thank you. Bye everybody.